And once again, we talk about some quirky news. And joining us again is Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. Hello, David. I have a story here. Uh, bike lanes in uh, Coronado in California, they're pretty positive in their approach to biking. In fact, the League of American Bicyclists has recognised a city as being committed to cyclists and the bike commute share is about 4.5%. Okay, so driving to work is 70, still a long way to go, but... This is a community that is tried to do something. So they have a master plan to add 12 more miles of bike paths. They receive some criticism, some concern, some opposition, including one person said, "You are, of course, you paint on the, the lanes that they are for bikes only. You are covering Coronado with paint stripe pollution said Jerry Lance-Brian. Obviously, the painted lines take away from the aesthetic elegance of a black piece of bitumen. <laughs> That's right, David. Filled with potholes and uh, lined with advertising signs. It just looks so good, doesn't it? <laughs> well, uh, another uh, resident, Aileen Oya, described as graffiti on the streets affecting their property values. Of course, the, the real case is that uh, cycle lanes can increase the value of property. They increase... Uh, turnover of businesses where they're installed uh, and of course they make things safer but uh, this town Coronado has found that going over the top a little was quite successful because um, you know one of the the residents uh, said that uh, it would be similar to personally taking all three of my daughters to a tattoo parlor and having them completely body tattooed uh, leaving aside that that appears to be quite a trend these days it's uh, yeah a little bit uh, extreme, but it didn't take much convincing for the city council to uh, agree, and they've um, they have suspended the decision to uh, to install the bike lanes. Interestingly, David Coronado's 4.5 percent bike commute share doesn't sound very much. Um, in 2011, Sydney's was 0.9 percent. So 4.5 percent is a solid and a good proportion of cycle commute. Local resident Carolyn Rogerson said the lanes bring to mind a visual cacophony that if you look there long enough, it will induce a dizzy type of vertigo. I'd love to see some evidence, Dave. Yes, <laughs> yes. as opposed to other yes. non-dizzy types of vertigo. Now, the next thing on their target, I imagine, next target of their sites will be possibly uh, crosswalks and pedestrian crossings, David. Stop lines, stop signs. <laughs> they're, they're driving me crazy. It's, a, it's all about what, freedom. Well, a stop line. What a, what a con confrontation to your liberty. That's right. It's offensive. It's something so associated with having to bring you to a halt. I know. And it, it's, it's, it's extreme, David. There's no, uh, there's no shades of grey that we see in a lot of uh, social uh, interaction. It's straight out, who's telling me to stop and why should I? And it goes very deeply. Uh, Jerry McCarty uh, said these black streets with these brilliant white lines everywhere, because believe me, it takes away from your home, from your outlook on life. <laughs> and the mayor, of course, said that uh, the public should get what it wants. This is obviously not the cycling public, unless what they're asking for is illegal or unethical, or he should have added, and stupid. We have an attitude that you can say anything that you like as long as it confirms your opinion. Yes, yes. And it doesn't matter if it makes no sense, if it's got no overall value to it. It's if I don't like it, everyone else can go to hell in a basket. Mm. A more calming story, Brian. Yes, David, last week we spoke about um, the, uh, the puppet theatre in Slovenia. 
where they lift the hatch of the vehicle and they play to people who are stuck in traffic behind the van. Well, in the M5 in the UK, uh, a bunch of musicians who were travelling home from a, a wedding in Devon, they were stuck in a, quite a long traffic jam and they, um, the string quartet actually climbed out onto the roadside and performed a quick concerto of uh, Packlebell's Cannon in the key of outside lane of motorway near Taunton. The M5 was blocked in both directions and uh, they provided a, a very pleasant gig for people stuck on the road. Do, David, do you think this is a nice idea? I love the idea. Packerbell's Cannon makes you think you're in a lift, though. That might be the problem. You know, the first forum by the Australian Institute of Traffic Planning and Management in 1982 was on LATAM, Local Area Traffic Management. And the whole principle was to slow down traffic, if not redirect it, from local areas. A cartoon came out that had a quartet beside the road and the caption was, traffic calming. Rather nice. Well, look, I uh, hope it's, it's calm people. They, they said that they got a round of applause and at the end a woman came over and gave them some sweets that no word on whether hmm. there were razor blades or anything like that inside, but... <laughs> Um, it sounded like it was uh, quite a positive outcome. I love the idea. Mm. We once were stopped in a very long queue for Wiseman's Ferry, and it wasn't moving much at all, so we had a picnic. Had to borrow a corkscrew and you know, got some cheese out and chatted away with and, share, and chatted. Did you share with people? Yes. Yeah, maybe the people around them. Exactly. Now, did I ever tell you that story where I had dinner with Bronwyn Bishop? No, no, you haven't, but I'd love to hear it. It was a big function. I wasn't personally invited to her house. I was sitting at the table. She was at the table too, but she was actually sitting on her own. The person beside her wasn't, wasn't talking to her, and the other side was vacant. So, you know, I, I knew the charity, and I didn't want her sitting there. So, you know, to get a bit crabby or what have you, so I went over and had a chat. Uh, I chatted to her for a while. I now realise why she was sitting on her own. But... <laughs> The thing she said was, I, I raised the concept, I've been doing some reading about uh, 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 social equity and, and things and a sense of community. Boom! No such thing as community, she said. Doesn't exist. People only exist for themselves. No such thing as community. And when I read this story, I thought, yes, there, you know, reminded me of that. Yes, there is. There is that desire for people, even in court, in difficult situations, to interact, to interact in a positive way. Indeed, David. And, um, this group actually went out of their way to climb out and get set up for the enjoyment of other people. Yes. And people found a common ground and got together and I just thought that was nice. Now the, the whole problem was a horse transporter had stopped on the hard shoulder, it had broken down or something, the car towing it and the horses inside became agitated and tried to escape. Maybe the quartet should have gone and played to the horses. Ah yes, yeah. Or perhaps they'd previously played something a little bit uh, vivace. <laughs> A little bit of Wagner or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Found it a bit right of the Valkyrie, and and it, it sort of revved the horses up. We yes. we may never know the full story. <laughs> we should research this. Yeah. I think we should research. Brian, I love the idea of collections, and there's this collection by Paul Rackham. He spent 25 years. He was in Britain. He's the biggest collector in Britain of tractors. He's 79 years old now. He's going to sell them. But he had 230 tractors inside a 55,000 square foot building. Canny, it was uh, the place. He's going to sell them. They reckon he'll make about uh, 2 million pounds, 4.2 million Australian dollars. I just love the idea of collecting tractors. And I tell you for why. You can see what they do. You can see the workings of them. It's like Meccano. 
It's got some sort of... Now, I was MC of a car show a little while ago. The thing that really got the most attention was the Porsche. The Porsche Tractor. (laughs) From 1949, beautifully restored. The engine looked smaller. Well, you know, it was just up the front and hardly much of it. But tractors, you know, you could see the gear lever, you could see the gearbox, you could see the diff and all those sorts of things. It was just wonderfully workable. By the way, the 1949 Porsche Tractor sold more than their 356 sports car. <laughs> what I like about this story is that not just tractors that tow, uh, that pull plows and the like. He has, this guy has tractors that are very interesting. He's got, interestingly, David, one, uh, one called the David Brown Tractor, which uh, was built for the Royal Air Force, and it was used to haul sort of bombers and fuel bowsers around on airfields during World War II. It's a 1941 era. So he has a bunch of really interesting tractors, including uh, a Caterpillar 15 from 1931, which had tracks like a tank. There's a a bittersweet element to this, of course, because... um, you know, he has a family, but he's not leaving the collection of vintage tractors to his family because they do not share the passion that he has in collecting tractors. Isn't that sad, David? Yes, it is sad, but equally go to a good home and he can have the $4.2 million. Because the great thing is he restored them all. So he did a lot of work. Now, the thing I like about this is, in the scheme of things, he doesn't make money out of it. He spent so much money. He was a successful businessman and so on. He doesn't make money. The soon as you get to the thing of, oh, maybe I could collect this for a profit, I lose interest. Mm, it's- but I do love your point about the different technologies, the wheels and all those different things about it. You can see it. I just think it's wonderful. Many years ago, I road tested a tractor as part of a, seg- a regular segment I had on NBN television for cars. And I just loved all those gears. And the seat had suspension in it. Mm-hmm. it you know, so it bounced up and down. I, I thought it was rather good. Nothing might quite yeah. like hanging around in a tractor, David. No, I love Getting it. Getting nowhere it, it, very far in not much of a hurry, and they're just wonderful. There's a tractor that some guys put a turbocharger on and he now chucks wheelies in. I just <laughs> think that this is the point. Brian, you have a story of extreme ugliness. Well, this is, yes, it's, uh, it's moved away from the, the beauty of uh, tractors and more towards the sort of conspicuous consumption side of things. Uh, some people have released a few photographs of a new yacht, which was designed by uh, designer Philippe Stark, who I guess makes milk jugs and things like that. Um, but it is the most expensive private yacht that we've ever heard of. It's apparently cost more than three Melbourne cricket ground stadia worth. So it's owned by Russian billionaire Andrei Igorovich Melnichenko. It's called the White Pearl. It's a sailing yacht with three masts, so it's a sailing ship. And it went through the Kiel Canal or the Channel in, um, in Germany. It cost $565 million dollars to make and as we said the the mcg cost about 150 million when it was last done now this thing is just enormous it's 142.8 meters long that's the world's largest sailing yacht and it, it kind of looks like a stealth yacht it's kind of an ugly oh, hard to describe david it kind of looks like half a real ship sort of looks like a tall shoe not you know that clog type shoe that you that the front of it is sort of uh where your heel goes in and then your foot goes in the rest of it as it sort of sweeps up in a, in a sort of line. You know, but you're right, that's not a great way to explain it. It, does, it looks know. a bit like a running shoe, I suppose. You're yes. right there, David. I think that's what I'm starting to see now, a backwards running shoe. has a crew of 35, and uh, I think it's just him and his uh, model 
wife, Alexandra Nikolic, from Serbia, who will be sailing on this thing. I just hope its uh, main voyage is not a hideous tragedy. 565, I guess that's US million. That's about 800 million Australian dollars. I've got to say, it is about as far removed from the ocean as you can be. Let me describe what I mean. Most of the sides are covered with, you know, are covered rather than windows. A bit hard to tell because it's so bloody big, you know, what represents a big window or not. But there's very little room out in the open air at the back. Yes, you can't sit there with the wheel, can you, and, and sort of no. take the breeze and the spray. You'd be at sitting front, about three stories up. Yep. At the front, there is some deck, but the sides go up above the deck. So if you're standing on the deck, the chances are you can't you look out over. over the ocean. It seems to have a swimming pool or something in the middle of it. Look, I'm sure underneath there is, in a covered space a whole exercise room. But whatever happened to those old boats where you could walk around the deck, go for a stroll? Agatha Christie novels were full of them, you know? Now, that's what I reckon. If I were to build a big boat, that's what I'd love to do. Get up in the morning and walk around with the sea breeze in your air, Mm -hmm. in your face. This thing, no doubt it's air-conditioned all inside. How removed are you from the actual ocean? I know. I I just find it it perverse. What would mole think about it david from wind in the willows yes uh, he's, he's, he just thinks there's nothing quite so wonderful as messing about in boats but he wouldn't mess about you know you'd go inside you could be inside an office space yes he wouldn't even yeah. be conscious that you're on the ocean it's got huge big masts on it i suppose it will sail mm. i i presume they won't have cloth sails i presume they'll have some kind of like high-tech hard. thing dave yeah why would you bother? It's I mean, sad. It's, it's, I, I believe this is a man who's unfulfilled. Yes. Yes, I think, I think that's right. Yeah. Conspicuous consumption in the extreme. What a sad right, Brian. to end the show on, David. Indeed. But still about transport and uh, perhaps how we try and use it to justify something that we want to be rather than necessarily to fulfil a wide range of usefulness in the community. Brian, always good to talk to you. As, as always, thank you very much for your thank time. Thank you and bye-bye. And that's Brian Smith. And we were talking some unusual, sad, tragic, excessive forms of transport.